Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind Comments by Celebs. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. I think this is our, and correct me if I'm wrong, second to last before we resume, you know, programming as usual, meaning we do our recaps. Fuck, I thought it was our last. Is it? No. Oh yeah, the episode comes out seven, September 8th. I'm this, mean? I'm this meme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the girl. With the, yeah. With the hands. You're right. This is our last. Holy shit. Okay, Wow. Guys, that's- let's make this one count. <laughs> this one's for you, the fans. <laughs> this has been a ride. So starting next week, we'll go back to um, regularly scheduled programming where we recap the episodes. We decided for this week, what we wanted to do was kind of a deep dive, kind of just like a discussion. Yeah, an open forum, if you will. Exactly, on Travis Scott. And so we started doing, you know, Julie started doing an outline for like a deep dive. And then the documentary came out, which obviously we watched. And there were so many points we wanted to talk about. So the way that we decided to frame this was to give you a little bit of background, just going chronologically chronologically through his life. Not as intense as we did with like Kanye or Chris, but some major points. And then moving into a discussion about the documentary major scenes, just like stuff that I know those of you listening cared about as much as we do. Like the little the little two-second clip of like him and Kylie and the way they were holding hands and that kind of stuff. I have to say though, if you haven't watched it yet, I would pause this, go watch the documentary. Like even if you skip through it to the parts of like Kylie that you really care about, just like something so you're going into this with, with knowledge of the documentary. I will say, so I watched the Beyonce documentary and I thought that that was like blew my mind. It was one of the best things I've ever seen. I wouldn't say the same about this one. I'm really happy I watched it, but I didn't feel that same like attachment. No, no. But the reason that I'm excited to do this episode was because it, I knew nothing about Travis kind of. And I think that it gave me a whole new appreciation for getting about him as like a person, just as him as an artist. Yeah. I think it's, um, yeah, it gives you a lot of insight. Beyond, it's hard to compare. Like the Beyonce one was just special. And it was like somebody you love and care about and seeing them like really shine in this like one moment. Travis's was like, um, 
it just gave us like a deeper look that we had never gotten before. Just this personality in general, really. And also, even if you don't, if you're not so interested in, in that, just from as being a Kardashian fan, which I assume if you're listening to this, you are, or like someone interested in the Kardashians, it's important to have a good sense of who their significant others are. Right. If you, even if you just want to do it solely from that angle, even though he's so much more than just Kylie's like boyfriend, obviously. Okay. So, you want to start us off good or yeah. what were you going to say? No, I was going to say we'll start a little chronologically. We'll go through the key points and then we'll do the, a documentary discussion. Sounds good. <laughs> love you. I love you too. Oh my God, just stop. Mom, you're embarrassing me. Okay. Mom, my friends are listening. <laughs> so Travis Scott, more um, formally known as Jock Berman Webster II, was born on April 30th, 1991 in Houston, Texas. You'll see throughout all of this that Houston is a huge source of inspiration for him and a huge kind of play part, part of his life. Houston is to Travis as Chicago is to Kanye. Great analogy. I'm Julie, side note that I don't know if you guys know, Julie's a fucking analogy master. She'll pull them out of left field all the time. I think it's one of your greatest skill sets. Thank you. Truly. And I I was one who recognized that. You didn't even recognize it in yourself. I usually don't. <laughs> you usually tend to do that. Yes. So starting in his childhood, from ages one through six, he lived with his grandma in South Park, Houston. It's kind of like South Central Houston. And it was it's known for being um, kind of a crime-heavy neighborhood, or at least it was at the time. So he then moved to Missouri City, which was a middle-class suburban area, which kind of like bordered Southwest Houston, and he lived with his parents. So at the time, his mother worked for Apple, and his father ran his own business. Interesting was that his father was also a soul musician, and his grandfather was a jazz composer. So music was definitely in his blood, fair to say? Fair to say. Um, For high school, which we'll get into in the documentary, he attended Elkins High School, and he graduated when he was 17. He then went to University of Texas, San Antonio, and when his sophomore year, he dropped out to fully pursue his music career, which we see a lot. And again, we always talk about like, not the rare times when it really works out for someone, but how many many times do people drop out to pursue something and then nothing happens from it? More times than not, it does not work out. Yeah. So he drops out of college and in an effort to continue to pursue his music, he moves to New York. And his parents at the time were, like, not thrilled about him dropping out. They cut him off financially. I don't think it's that they didn't believe in him, but it's that they valued education and just, like, felt right. it was important that he got his degree, which I totally understand. Well, I think we see that a lot with with kids who, um, like, pursue this lifestyle where they drop out of school and their parents are like, just get your degree and then do it after. Exactly. So, like, a lot of parents feel really strongly about them having something to go back on, and it's not so much that they don't believe in them or believe in their career. It's just they— we see all the time that parents just feel like, finish your degree and then do this. And at least you have something to fall back on. I think that's probably what Travis's parents were feeling. Exactly. So he's fully cut off from his parents at this point. And just financially, he, just though. Fi- not like, they still have a really great relationship, I think. They did. And you'll see, we, when we talk about the documentary, we'll, we'll get more into that because he really does seem to have a good relationship with his parents. But anyway, so he's in New York. He's around like 1920. And he was sleeping on the floor of his friend's house. He spent most of the time, most of his time in the studio, and he was starting to get like visibly upset and kind of frustrated by the fact that he moved there to do this full time and he wasn't progressing. So he decided to make the move to LA to kind of like amp things up. So tell us about LA. So he moves to LA and he had a friend that had agreed to like give him housing, like that he was going to stay with them. And then the friend just like abandoned him. So Travis then had to move back to Houston and his parents like kicked him out of the house. And I, it, what my assumption there was is that they probably said to him like, you can stay if you go back to college and he didn't want to. So they're like, okay, then you can't stay. So he ended up moving back to LA and was sleeping on a friend's couch. He was going to USC. When he was in LA that time, he met T.I., 
and then eventually met Kanye. And he was he was employed at Good Music as an in-house producer. And Good Music is Kanye. Which, remember when we talked about John Legend, like all just back in the day, the, the amount of connections that happened through Good Music, which I had no idea until we did the Kanye deep dive and then we started to kind of explore more. It's also just so interesting thinking about like how connected Travis and Kanye was and the part that Kanye played in Travis's whole career. That is the part that I still think isn't talked about enough. Like if you want to look at this from a Kardashian perspective, like yeah, it's, it's obviously really cool that Travis and Kanye have this relationship, but then what are the chances that the two of them end up in the same family? Right. Like they go from being kind of friendly to then coworkers to then brother-in-laws. Yeah. It's crazy. I feel like even the two of them don't talk about it enough. Or maybe they do. We would have zero knowledge of that. I just feel like what I want in an ideal world is like Travis got out there being like, oh, man, my brother-in-law, Kanye. I know. I owe him everything. It's some shit. It really yeah. is. So when he was there, he dropped his first mixtape, and it was titled Owl Pharaoh. This was in May of 2013, so six years ago. Keep that in mind just like as we progress, and you'll see the evolution of his career his first mixtape was only six years ago. It's not like this kid has been at it for so long. He's a lot younger than Kanye. He's like, he's what, 20? He's born in- 91. Yeah, he's like 24, 25, 25. Wait, 91 would make him- I mean, no, 28. 28. 28, sorry. And I'm bad at math. Is it 91? Yeah, he was born 91. Oh, I don't know. I thought it was later. Yeah. So that same year, he earned a best mixtape nomination at the BET Awards. Right. Again- only six years ago. Like, really unbelievable to see, which we will get into. So then, in the next year, May of the next year, it was when his first major studio album was released. It was called Days Before Rodeo. And again, I just, I don't know. As I was, as we were going through this, I was like, holy shit, the, the amount that this guy has come in such a short amount of time. All these other, I feel like Kanye, them, they're in their late 30s, early 40s. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, you, it's, it's, but... You're right, because it's not often when you, like, watch an established musician come. And even, like, when you're when you're thinking about the musicians that have just come on the scene, right? Like, Billie Eilish, that's, we know that's a huge deal. She just started, she's young, and she came on the scene. But with somebody like Lizzo, when you think about it, Lizzo's been around for 10 years. Exactly. It's only now that you're just like, so, yeah, there is a lot of work. Sometimes it just happens, and you come on the scene, and your first thing is just right out, Lil Nas X, right out the gate. Right. But then sometimes it takes a little work. And I think we're just used to seeing all these established musicians, and especially with rappers, where it's they've just been around our whole lives and they're just been their careers have just been a given to us. We haven't really seen like the progression. I mean, I think with Travis, where you're really noticing like where he started, the progression, and that it really hasn't been that long of a time that he's been in the game for. It's so true. The game. <laughs> Look at me with the lingo. I know. So the next year was when he went on the um, rodeo tour, and Young Thug and Metro Boomin were the supporting acts. So this same time, which was, this was in 2015, he helped to write and produce Bitch Better Have My Money by Rihanna. Like, there's a lot of songs, and I couldn't put them all in, but especially with Kanye albums and the Kanye and Jay-Z album, that he would he played a huge part in producing. Huge part. I think that's the thing, is not all, not all rappers are also producers. Well, that's what him and Kanye have in common. Exactly. And that's one of the things that was Kim was just talking about in the interview, where when she met Kanye, he wasn't a rapper, he was a music producer. Right. Look at, talk about a fucking, like. A lot of people will say that they think Kanye is a much more talented producer than he is a rapper. A lot of people will say that. Which must make him an unfucking believable producer because he is undebate, like undoubtedly an incredible rapper. Yeah. You know what no, I mean? No, he's a top, a top, top of the list for greatest rappers of all time. People will always go, oh, you'll never see a list of greatest rappers. I mean, he may be number 50 on some people, he may be number one on others, but you're never going to see a list of greatest rappers of all time without Kanye's name making an appearance somewhere. For sure. 
So he had a song called Antidote, and it was released ahead of the rodeo tour. And this song peaked at number 16 on the Hot 100 charts, and he this was Travis's first platinum single. It took me a while to connect that that was Travis, because I knew Antidote when we were in school, but I never really realized who it was. When I was reading this over, I had that exact same like, yeah. thing. Um, Did you have like a tailgate flashback? I had for a second, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's like Syracuse tailgate, yeah, exactly. So his second studio album was released in September 2016. Again, that's only three years ago. And it was called Birds in the Trap Sing McKnight. It had Kid Cudi, Andre 3000, Quavo, Kendrick Lamar, The Weeknd, like stacked. And not that, I think that at, at this in this um, at this time, I wasn't following him at this time, but I think that he's definitely started to like prove himself in the music world. But I think having these associations definitely helped out. It's like, I think that that's a, that's a step um, of what's the word that I want to use? Like for for any sort of musician, once you get a certain amount of really A-list entertainers on your track, that's like a very big deal. It's almost like a yeah. sign of respect in the industry. Yes, yes, you know? yes. And it's also what a lot of rappers will do, if you've noticed, is that when they really believe in somebody who's coming in at, at the, the the next level, they know that their um, like addition to the album or their appearance on the album is going to make that album, like give it more legitimacy. So they're willing to to like appear on albums like that. And I think you see this a lot with like rappers mentoring other rappers and, and bringing them up and appearing on their things for the sole purpose of like helping them out and raising their their fame level and their audience. Totally. And then even just on, an, on a, not even for like a notoriety perspective, like Justin Bieber with Billie Eilish, he didn't have to do that. And she was doing just fine without him. But that was like a very commendable thing that he did. Yeah, there's like a sense of mentorship in the music industry, I think. And um, paid forward, like. Yeah, yeah, and and there's this, like, sense of camaraderie of, like, unless you're a musician, you don't know what it's like to, like, be struggling to release an album. You don't know what it's like to be on tour alone. You don't know what it's like, all of these things. I think it was Shawn Mendes, I want to say, that I was just reading something or, I don't know, some artist that I was um, reading or watching something where they were saying that exact feeling of, like, being on tour is the kind of thing that you cannot understand unless you have done it. And, like, that whole idea, which— I guess that's true for any industry, right? It's like, we always say like, people don't understand what this type of job is if you didn't have it, but it's a totally other thing when I think you're that isolated for that period of time. Well, especially when you're that isolated for that period of time or that struggling for that period of time and you know that there's somebody like, you know, something we always talk about like with, with what we do is that there's not a there's not an example before us that we can just watch. With a lot of musicians, it's like, okay, this is what they did and here's something that I can follow precisely and here's something they can help me with. Like, I think that a lot of musicians feel the sense of responsibility because there was probably somebody also who did that for them when they were in their shoes. Exactly, exactly. Um, So six months later, in 2017, he announced that he'd be launching his own imprint, calling it Cactus Jack Records. And he was interviewed about it, and he said, quote, I'm not doing it to have financial control over my music. I want first and foremost to help other artists launch new names to provide opportunities. He wanted to—it never felt to me, like, when just when we were, like, reading up about it, it never felt like it was um, a solely selfish thing. And even if it was, that would have been totally fine. He has every right to. It really did feel like a Kanye vibe in the sense of, like, he wanted to create— collectively with a, like with other people. Yeah. You know no, what I, I mean? I got that vibe as well. I never thought, I mean, listen, I think that a lot of artists set out to do that and have their own label just because it gives them, it gives them so much power. It gives them so much over their own music and helps, I think they really puts them in a position to help other musicians. Um, so I don't think it's unusual at all when artists do that or like that it's selfishly motivated or anything like that. No. And even if it was, that's t- like, that's fine too. Um, 
So then August of last year was when he released Astroworld, which we're going to get into a lot when we talk about the documentary and stuff. But that debuted at number one on the Billboard 200. It was Sicko Mode, obviously the most famous song, debuted at number one on the Billboard Hot 100. And it was the first of his songs to reach number one. It was the first hip-hop song in history to spend 30 weeks in the charts top 10, which is fucking insane. He performed it at the 2019 Super Bowl halftime show, which, as you remember, he gave the money to um, the money he made from the halftime show to a charity that supported what was the exact charity? I forget the name of it. I don't have it off the top of my head, but it was it well, was it, obviously it was an is it was partially in anticipation of getting backlash for um, helping to support the NFL, which obviously has it was like his agreement. He was like, I'm not doing this for I'm not performing this halftime show unless there's an agreement that. That five hundred thousand dollars is going to. I wish I had the chart off my top of my head. I know it's something. Um, I believe helping to expand like inner city programming or something like that. I have to look it up yeah. because I don't know. But which was a really classy move. Yeah. So so Sicko Mode was nominated. Which like think about Sicko Mode. For, think about this summer. I mean that was the fucking song of the summer. It's still the song. It's like, still it's the still song. A fucking. It's a banger. It's I, like uh, you know what I describe it as. And I say this to everybody. I'm not taking it back. Sicko Mode is the Bohemian Rhapsody of our generation. It's yeah. that like long, really long, like completely like multiple songs thrown into one. Obviously, I'm not comparing the two. That's like a, a ridiculous thing. But like for people, the way that they listen to that, we listen to Sicko Mode. It's so true. I listen to that every single time on the elliptical. Julie and I listen to it every single time we're at the apartment. I never get sick of it. It's an unbelievable song. So it was nominated at this year's Grammys for Best Rap Performance and Best Rap Song. And the entire album, Astroworld, was nominated for Best Rap Album. So he didn't end up winning. Cardi won for Invasion of Privacy. For, she for was, album, yeah. For album, and she was the first female solo um, rapper to ever win in the category. We'll get into it in the documentary, kind of like his reaction and that whole thing. But whether or not you think he got snubbed, be, just be, think, obviously, he was nominated and like. Yeah, it was. Listen, there's always going to be musicians who you feel get snubbed at the Grammys. And I think Drake gave a speech about it at the Grammys, and it was mostly directed at Travis, if I remember correctly, which was like, the Academy doesn't recognize what the public recognizes. And just because you didn't win the Grammy doesn't mean that you weren't deserving of winning the Grammy. It's just that the perception of what the Recording Academy deems to be the the winner doesn't mean that that's what the public is. Totally. And, and it was like a really, I remember it was like a really big deal that Drake said that and everyone kind of knew watching him that like that was directed at Travis. For sure. So there's this company making stylish shoes for women and girls out of recycled plastic water bottles. They are insanely comfortable, machine washable, and they are called Rothy's. So Julie and I actually tried these. We got them in the um, sneaker model and we got them, I got mine in beige. The machine washable thing is like a game changer because I stepped in something and you literally just throw these in the wash. You do laundry like it's nothing and you have a fresh pair of shoes, which is unbelievable. No Clorox wipes and any of that. They're kind of, they describe themselves as like everyday flats for life on the go. So they're stylish, versatile. They go with everything from yoga pants to dresses and skirts. They come with an insane range of like colors, patterns. They come out with different um, colors and patterns every few weeks. Also, they always have free shipping and free returns and exchanges. So there's no risk, no worries, and kind of like really honestly, no reason not to try. And the fact that they're crafted from recycled water bottles, they're super comfortable. As soon as you slip them on, there's like no break-in period, which is kind of rare and awesome. So check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com slash celebs. Go to rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash celebs to get your new favorite flats. Comfort, style, and sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com slash celebs today. Before we get into the documentary, just transition to a bit of a Kylie Jenner 
timeline in terms of their relationship. Because if you're listening to this, you obviously care because the reason you were brought here is because you like the Kardashians or have some sort of interest. So let me tell you, prior to them ever dating, they like knew each other. They kind of were in the same circle, but they never spoke. Obviously, listen, Kylie was dating Tyg at the time. They were at, when you're, as we have discovered time and time again, Hollywood is very small and they were constantly in the same Yeah, circle. if you watch the um, the interview that they did together, like they were answering each other's questions, it was for GQ. Which, watch that if you have Watch that, it's so good. It's like gives a real good insight to that relationship. But Kylie was basically saying, she's like, I, I thought you didn't like me and I just now understand that's just your standoffish personality. It's just who you are. But they were talking about how one time they were at Legoland together. Like they went with a group of friends to Legoland and they never even spoke. That's crazy to think about. But when you watch Travis, it's like so funny because we'll get into this in documentary, but like he's so quiet and off on his own. And then sometimes he's like the most loud animated person. You, it's, it's so crazy. It totally depends on his mood, I think. Yeah. Or maybe his settings. Have, or maybe like his comfort, yeah, his comfort level. Like he's not so good one-on-one, but when he gets on stage, it's like he's right. a different person. Or like when he's in Houston, which is where he obviously, you know, comes from and he knows that he has the entire city support. He can, he maybe feels like he has the ability to kind of be so much more out there. I don't know what it is, but it is, it is a very interesting thing how he goes back and forth. Yeah. So April, 2017, they spark rumors when they were seen together at the Coachella party. And Kylie like later talks about how they had such a connection that after Coachella, she literally got on his tour bus and they have just been inseparable since. We we didn't know that at the time, but when she reflects on it now, that's how she describes it. So it's so interesting because April 2017, I was abroad and Travis performed Mayfest at Syracuse. And in the documentary at the end, you see him running in the Carrier Dome. And I can remember being abroad and everybody texting, being like, I think Kylie Jenner is at the Marriott in Syracuse. And no one was sure. But now that she when she talks about getting on the, the tour bus and just going with him, like, there's a very high percentage that Kylie Jenner was in Syracuse when he was there. Oh, for sure. Which is crazy to think about because I remember it being such a rumor. Like everyone, like I remember like, and I remember fueling the rumor just to fuck with people and writing like, yeah, I know for a fact that Kylie Jenner's there. Like you guys should go to downtown, like go to Armory Square because Kylie Jenner was just that pot. Like I remember fucking with people for like, because it sounded so ridiculous at the time that Kylie Jenner would be at school. I mean, and also listen, I know celebrity couples move quickly, but to meet someone or not to meet, but to start, you know, being romantic with someone and then to go on tour with them, where it's like the most intimate setting I could possibly think of. Like, you know, they always say, you can't marry someone until you've lived with them or like you can't really date someone seriously until you've gone on vacation with them or whatever it is. It's like all these things. Talk about a fucking time where your true oh my colors God, come yeah. out on a tour, a tour bus. bus. Yeah. It's like living in like a real, yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. So 15 days later on April 30th, the rumors about them continued to circulate and Kylie was seen at Cipriani for Travis's 25th birthday, which like, wow. If you work at Cipriani, no, do you just like, who who who's just there that we were just talking about? Everybody, everybody's birthday. Uh, Joe, Joe and Sophie. Joe's birthday was at Cipriani. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking of. Oh, everybody. I mean, listen. I, I'm sure you've been to Cipriani too. It's like every time you're there, it's a it's a thing. Like it's just, yeah. It's but it's just those. like for a celebrity birthday. It's like come no, on. I mean, forget. You it. know what I mean? Yeah. So the following year in June, Travis tweets, "Quote legit happiest day of my life." And people start to assume that this was about the pregnancy. But if you remember, like. They, Once the rumors came out about the pregnancy, which wasn't until September, people like went back and cited this tweet and was like, oh, this is what that was about. If you remember, we, Kylie never confirmed it until three days after Stormy was three born. Three days after Stormy was born. We saw pictures. 
I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys felt this way, but I remember hearing like Kylie was pregnant. I was like, no way, no way. Then she wasn't seen. Then there were pictures of paparazzi pictures of her seen, and she was like looking really big. And I was like, Julie, Kylie is fucking pregnant. Well, Could this family get I will crazier? never forget that day because Kim had already announced she was pregnant with Chicago. Then Chloe was pregnant. And this all happened within like a really short, the Chloe and, and Kylie, the pregnancy rumors happened at the same time. And Chloe didn't announce for a while. So it was just, we were sitting there and it was just like, here we are with this information that Kim's having a baby, Chloe's possibly having a baby, and Kylie's possibly having a baby, but two of them haven't confirmed at all. So we are with bated breath, every picture of them, every single thing that came out, every everything. It was like, we could not get enough. I remember I told you the story that we were sitting. It was like one of the first few days of school that I was there. It was my senior year. And me and Isabel are sitting in the TV room and we get this notification that Kylie's pregnant. No one believes it. And we're all in the kitchen, right? And one of us is like, fuck it. I'm calling Paul Crane. They're our OBGYN. We called the office. We're like, hi, this is from People Magazine. Like, just fucking to see what would happen. And they were like, we're not giving any comments at this time. That's hilarious. And then, because the funniest thing was me and Isabel are sitting there and we're like, they're like, does anybody know the doctor? Like, does anybody know how are we even going to do this? And me and Isabel are like, what do you mean? You don't know their OBGYN? Are you fucking stupid? Are you guys idiots? What do you don't also don't know who the president is? Like, that's what we, like, that was what it was like for us. You don't know the doctor A was on Kim's, like, what? Like, you don't know the key players and that? That's hilarious. That is so funny. Um... I, I was going to say, oh, I will never forget when, where I was when Kylie, when Chloe announced it. Remember, she announced her pregnancy in the yes. Calvin Klein sports bra when she was holding her stomach. Yep. I was sitting in Carrera Cafe in LA on Melrose, and I was with oh my Rachel. God, you were in LA. Yeah, I was within LA, and I was with Rachel, and I was like, oh my God. And Rachel obviously didn't understand why it was such a big deal. And I, I remember calling you being like, holy fuck. When this is another good, um, like, still at school sorority story, when um, Kylie announced that Stormy was born and they released the To My Daughter video. We, it was bid day. So we had like the whole class of like new bids, whatever. And they were all taking a picture of the new bids, like every other thing. And I have a video of me standing in front of all of them going, it was like one, two, three, like, welcome to the world, Stormy. And it was like, (laughs) all of their sorority saying it. And I just like got like had it on video. And then we, they released the video and me and Isabel are crouched behind a couch while everything is going on in the house, watching to our daughter. Like it was, it was the most classic thing you can ever envision. There's nothing more. There's nothing more classic. Um, Anyway, so just going back to backtrack for a second, that same year, June, right before she's born, they get Kylie and Travis get their matching butterfly tattoos on their ankles. Now we're like really starting to think. It was September 2017 that it was reported that she was pregnant. And it wasn't until February 4th of 2018 when they released the, the video. She was born on the February 1st, and I think it was on the 4th that they released that video, which, like, took us for a fucking ride. And again, as you know, obviously that video was filled with Jordan. It was told from was, Jordan's perspective. It was told from Jordan's perspective. I can't—it's like— Stormy's going to watch that video one day and be like, who is that? I don't That's know. That's heartbreaking. I still think there's going to be reconciliation. I kind of changed my mind. I don't know. I— I, I know that's real. I didn't talk to you about that. I was just watching. <laughs> no, I was really just, Jordan was posting a lot this weekend. I don't know. Do you get how funny that is that you just said it like that? Like, yeah, I know I didn't talk to you about this, but I changed my mind again. Like, <laughs> you didn't have to. I know, I know. I don't know. I go so back and forth. Maybe it's just my my optimism coming Well, I mean, play. I guess because they're so young. I think that's what. That's what it is. They have so much life to live. So much time for forgiveness. So much time. Okay, let's get into the documentary aspect of it. 
Yeah, let's fucking do it. Again, I really think you should watch it. Not because it's going to change your life, just because it's an interesting perspective about a guy that we don't see too much about in um, other aspects. Right? Correct. Let's get straight into your notes. My you notes? did a much better job than I did. Okay. So it starts out, we're not going to go through scene by scene, but it starts out with him and his childhood home in um, in Houston. And I just wrote my note was, juxtaposition of the Matt Black Lambo pulling out of this very modest home really shows his humble beginnings. What I mean by that is that you see this house and like it's, a very modest home. I mean, it's nothing to speak of. And then he, here he is in this like matte black Lambo. And I don't mean that in an obnoxious way. I just meant it was like a very interesting thing to kind of see. It was yeah, like a no, tangible was, example yeah. of how his success and where he came from. Totally. Um, which I'll get into more, but I think something that really stuck out for me is, you know, he kind of like you were saying with Kanye with Chicago, like not everybody that comes from wherever they come from, feel such an intense attachment. We see it a lot with, like, Atlanta rappers yeah. that, that they do. But not everyone does. And, like, Travis, Houston is ingrained in Travis's, like, soul. And that was just so evident throughout this entire thing. Yeah, like, I could never imagine myself standing up somewhere and being like, thank you, Trumbull, Connecticut. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, uh -huh. it's just not, like— like, thank you for the key to Trumbull, Connecticut. Like, everyone probably has a key to Trumbull, Connecticut. You know what I mean? Like, I just can't imagine. But, like, for, I guess for him and, like, Kanye and a lot of Atlanta rappers, it's like, that's their identity is really in the place where they were brought up. For sure. I wanted to also just talk about one of the major themes that I saw, which was his— I never really—first of all, I've never been to a Travis Scott concert. I know I know you were. I did. Um, but the— the way in which he connected to his fans, I guess I just wasn't um, expecting it necessarily. But like one of the first things they show in the documentary was him. I forget where the, the concert was, but he was arrested, at, got, literally got off stage and immediately got arrested for inciting riot because he like had everybody turn all the lights off and he was like having everybody go crazy. And the cops said like he was inciting riot. And he, of course he, he got released right away, but it was so like worth it to him. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, he, he like— and you see it throughout the thing. I, I know you're saying I didn't mean to cut you off, but like when there are so many times where they show like him like trying to like make a mosh pit and have fun at the concert and somebody got kicked out because they were going too crazy and he brings them back out and he's like, no one gets kicked out of a Travis Scott concert. Like, he, exactly. yeah, he, he was just like, has such a connection to his audience. He really, really does. You saw all these videos. They did like all these shots of people saying that he saved my life and I was going through all this stuff and he was the only one there for me. Like him, not, not physically him, but like him and his music and his presence, not not people that actually knew him. And even you just saw like, I think a lot of people, and, and this, not to not give him the benefit of the doubt, but it could just come from his youth and the sense that maybe he's just not done with it yet. Like he's not over it. But I think you see a lot of these really big time celebrities, rappers or not, where the fame is kind of, it becomes overwhelming. And it's kind of like, I just want to get, I want to take the back entrance out, get into my car and not be seen. Whereas he's very willingly in his car in the middle of a giant crowd, rolling down his window, yeah. touching hands. I don't know a lot of other people, celebrities these days that would roll down their window and have these people. I mean, these people were, Full mosh yeah. into the car. No, it's like, and he, he has such a connection to them. He really has a connection. It was very evident. That was like one of the biggest themes that I saw. I think that was one of the things that like he probably, when, when they made this documentary, that he wanted to have as a takeaway. Oh, for sure. So I know that you guys know that you should be taking vitamins to help supplement your diet, but there are so many different options and it's kind of hard to know which nutrients you need, which ones you don't. And like if you're getting enough from your regular food. So women deserve a clean, effective multivitamin that they can trust. And when Kat Schneider realized that doesn't exist, that's when she decided to create her own and she founded Ritual. So Ritual is the obsessively researched multivitamin designed for women by women. It contains nine nutrients that are difficult to get enough of every day, even with a healthy diet. 
So instead of having to take like five, eight vitamins, they make it easy with just two capsules a day. And you just order online at ritual.com for around a dollar a day, delivers right to your door monthly so you can stay on track with your new healthy habit. We tried these and we both really like them, honestly. Love, big they, fan. Yeah, they it's traceable and transparent. So they kind of search the globe for like the best suppliers and they're super transparent about where they source their ingredients. And if you want to know more, you can just find everything on the website. It's easy, all in one, everything you want. And that's why we we like Ritual, honestly. It's a great daily vitamin and the fact that it's delivered to your door is just incredibly convenient. So for a limited time, Ritual is offering our listeners one free week during your first month. Just go to ritual.com slash celebs to start your ritual today. That's one week free of Ritual at ritual.com slash celebs. Obviously, we have to talk about Kylie, but first, what were you going to say? No, I was— I was. I ha- my first thing that I just have to say is when you watch this, uh, oh my God, he gets off the, this, the plane and he had this Hermes, mm-hmm. this multicolored Hermes, like giant travel bag. It was like a, it was like a mega Birkin, but with— multiple color panels. I, I like, fuck, I, I like, I don't know. I blocked out for a second when I saw it. I, I know exactly. I yeah. paused it. I took a Snapchat to Julie and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. I don't know. You know when an Hermes really just hits you? Yeah. That like are, a ton of fucking like bricks. Like a ton yeah. of bricks, yeah. When the Hermes just comes at you yeah. and you're, you need a minute. Exactly. Yeah. It takes your breath away sometimes. Should we name this episode when the Bergen hits you like a ton of bricks? Possibly. I was hit. <laughs> I was fucking hit. I know. Hard. Um, <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong with us? Everything. Everything. Anyway, so that's just a side note. But the first time we see Kylie is she's walking, right, with these, like, red leather pants behind him. We see the back. I, I saw her ask for 0.2 seconds, and I was like, oh, obviously that's Kylie. Yeah. And we see them, um, like, okay, Kylie was definitely not that, present throughout the entire film. I would say she made her— It wasn't about her. It, it was about him. And I think if she'd been in it a lot, it would have made it about her. And I think that was totally intentional. They wanted it to be about him. But the content that we did get to see of them was grade A content. One of the first clips you saw is them in the backseat of a car, and he's shirtless, and she's wearing, like, snakeskin pants. She has mm-hmm. her short black hair, blonde wig. I mean, short bangs, uh, black wig. And he just can't stop touching her. Yeah. And she loves it. Like, not they have such a um, sense of chemistry. I think so too. And I never, not that I didn't see it. I just like when I saw it, I was like, yeah, I I get it. I get it. Like the way he looks at her, the way like they like, and she's like so like infatuated by him. She loves his whole vibe, everything, and you can see like he cares about her so much. It is so evident. Like the amount in which he cares about her and Stormy is just, it's like, it's radiating off of him. It really is. I I really felt that way. He, so we get to see that um, when they're at the doctor and she's getting her sonogram and (laughs) the doctor's giving the sonogram and Travis, I quoted this. He's so skeptical. He's he's like on eye level of of Kylie's stomach watching with like one eye squinted to see how much pressure the doctor is putting. And I literally quoted exactly what he said. He goes, yo, OG, be careful how much pressure you're putting on there. There's a young up in there, OG, to the doctor. I lost it. It was the funniest part of the documentary. I lost it. I was like, imagine you're this doctor. You've been doing this for however many long. And Travis Scott is crouched down, making sure that you're not pressing too hard because there's 
this but kid in there. But how sweet was it's that? It's so sweet. It was, it was just hilarious. It, was like, it wasn't just like the tip. It was like he was such a young dad. Is what The way I felt was he was such a young dad experiencing this for the first time. And he was so unbelievably happy and excited to be in this position that like he couldn't believe it. And he is crouched down at Kylie's stomach. And it's like he's learning about everything for the first time. Like a lot of dads who like I feel like when you see them at their sonogram and they're holding the hands and they're looking at the heartbeat. And he, it's like it's not so much that it isn't their first rodeo. It's just like you know, they've seen it. They've experienced it. They've watched a movie. Like, I felt like this was literally Travis's first time ever seeing a sonogram machine. Yeah, I think he was like, oh my God, that is what an embryo looks like. Like, that's what a fetus looks like. Yeah, and he was like. just like, he literally eye level, like so skeptical of this doctor and how much pressure it's like. And then you see Travis after the doctor's appointment with the sonogram on his phone, making his friends listen to Stormy's heartbeat. Yeah. That was fucking was, a sweet moment. It was really a sweet moment. He was so excited to be a father. It, oh my you God. You can tell he, he really, Something that I loved also was um, after Stormy's born and they show the scenes in the hospital and he goes out to the car to call and he like can't get over the fact that- oh, when I was going to talk about- Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Don't skip ahead because this part's important. We'll get there sorry. in one second. So they also show, which I could not believe we were fucking graced with this footage. We get to see not Kylie physically giving birth, but literally minutes before yeah. and minutes after. And you see like he's holding her hand and, and whatever. And- she gives birth and you hear, um, you hear in the background like, Travis cut the cord, Travis cut the cord, yeah. cutting the umbilical cord, which if you remember for a lot of um, dads or or moms or whoever the other parent is in the situation, they most of the time get um, the, get the, get the option to cut it. Yeah. And a lot of those people don't. For example, my dad literally put his hands up and said to the doctor like, no, you fucking do it. Like, I don't want to have any part of this. I think my dad did it. But not everyone does. It's like definitely I think a scary my dad was thing. Like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, so that, now say what you were going to say. He, well, wait. Before he gets to the car, which Julie's about to talk at, he literally walks out of the delivery room. He has a blunt in his mouth, and he walks straight out of the the stairways, like out to smoke. Let me tell you, this guy smokes. A, I love it. He smokes a lot of fucking weed. Yeah, I'm all for it. It was guy after my yeah, own heart. Yeah, guy after our own heart. So, anyways, he goes out to the car to call. I don't know who he's on the phone with, but he's saying, and he's like, he is so excited. Like he is the definition of this was the best day of his life and he's in the car and he's on the phone and he's like and then they take her and she's crying like what was she like she's like crying hard as fuck and the doctor's like fucking with her and like but then he's like he's like and then Kylie's ma she went over and she was and, the, and she's crying and she's crying hard as fuck and then I went over and she just stopped like he couldn't get over the fact that as soon as he held her she stopped crying yeah and Kylie held her and she stopped crying like she he couldn't get over that fact and he like I think it was such a validating experience from as a father that like innately no matter what he did like he knew he could do it because as soon as he walked over, that baby knew who he was. Exactly. And then they show him just like sitting there holding her, like not talking, just like staring at her. Yeah. It was, it was really, it was really sweet to see. It was really sweet to see. And kind of like throughout the rest of the documentary, you know, you get to see Stormy as she gets older and you get to see him and him and Kylie together with, um, with Stormy and just his like infatuation with this, with this baby and his willingness to kind of go above and beyond for her is really just beautiful. Not that I didn't expect it. Not that I for a second thought that he was like a deadbeat dad. But I just, I was, I got to really see behind the scenes look, which quite frankly, Travis is not active on social media. Like he, you get to see, anything I get to see of him is only through Kylie's stories. So this being all about him did give us a new perspective. Yeah, and I think something that I was, there were a couple of moments that I was like, 
this is really cool insight to see. One of them was um, obviously the baby, like Stormy being born in the sonogram. The other was um, just like how much energy he has, not even just like on stage, just like when he's with his friends and he's talking about his music, you can just tell it's like, that is his place. That is where he's comfortable. And he just gets so much like enjoyment and excitement that it's like a childlike energy. He's bouncing off the walls. He's jumping everywhere. And going, I know you're going to want to say this because you thought this part was also so cool. But when he gets the Drake vocals on sickle mode, I thought that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It was like a piece of music history that we saw happen. And the first time he hears the checks over stripes line and he's like, holy fuck. And we like got to experience that with him. That was a really, really cool moment. For anybody that's just unaware, they were, he was, you know, around with his, like with his team and they're sitting in a kitchen. I don't know what house it was in. It wasn't not Kylie's house. They're sitting in a kitchen and you see like Drake vocals on the screen and he listens to them for the first time and he's like, holy fuck he's like he went off on that one and you hear and he starts jumping and going crazy and it was like I literally texted Julie I was like why am I crying yeah, right you now you cried you I, really cried I was bawling not through the first part but the second half of this documentary I swear to god you guys I had tears rolling down my face and I don't even know why I was just so happy for him I was like I felt like I was watching the evolution and well, actually no I have something to say I know part two things number one the Drake thing was really fucking cool because it was such a behind the scenes of like, that's such an iconic line and we hear that all the time. And then to see his excitement, fine. The reason that I thought that it was so emotional was because it kept flashing back to him as a child. Yeah. And the whole like, the, you know, this whole uh, idea that like, this was his, not that rapping was his dream, but that like this childlike person came from this like very happy child and to just see the connection was unbelievable well yeah that was yeah no it was it was really cool and one of the parts that I loved and I had actually seen this video before the documentary was the video of him performing in front of like 12 people and it was like that was two or three years ago and all of a sudden we're here and you're selling out Madison Square Garden and that was just like such a cool moment but the thing with the, the and the thing with sickle mode that we talk about a lot is like that song will like will be a song that sticks with people. Like you, weirdly enough, will probably sing that song in the car with your kids one day. It'll be just one of those. And I think that seeing that come to life was such a big moment for us. And one of the things that you and I always talk about is the first time that you had heard it and you connected like Baby Mama Cover Forbes got these other bitches struck. Like that line being about Kylie and being in the, the the biggest song of the year. Like he could have put that on any other song in that album and it wouldn't have been such a big deal. But for the song of the summer to be about Kylie being a billionaire, like that is a piece of pop culture history that you will have engraved in a song forever. A thousand percent. And we always talk about when major pop culture things make their way into music. Yeah, it's just special. And like, I like think- Like the Tristan line, like all, uh, all um, these girls on Christian Mingle almost, almost got, got Tristan, Tristan single. single. Yeah, yeah. That's like a, such a huge- thing that you'll never like you'll always I feel like you'll always know where you were when you heard that line for the first time or when you realized that line and like there was just something about the Drake like the Drake vocals coming in because that part is like Drake being in that song made it what it was really like Travis played a huge part and the whole song itself is huge but Drake's involvement in that song took it to another level and to see those vocals come in and that like it wasn't like they were sitting in the studio writing it together like the whole time it was like that was Travis experiencing that but, and also that, those lines of him like crept down the block, but yeah. past light, made it right, whatever. Remember when that that guy did that whole thing about how he thought Drake and, and Kim were having, was, were having an affair? 
he cited Drake's lyrics in that song and mapped it out. Like, okay, from Drake's house, if he makes a right, right it takes yeah. you to Kim's house and like Kiki and the whole nine. Like, obviously we we do not think that that was the case and that never happened, but still fucking crazy. No, it really is. There's, um, what I would compare the the Drake lines coming in or the Drake vocals coming into is, I don't know if you've ever seen this. There's a HBO six part documentary called The Defiant Ones about Dr. Dre and Jimmy Ivine. And Jimmy Ivine tells the story about how when he was really young, he was working, he kept getting fired from all these jobs, whatever. And he, the, his one recording studio that he was working at said to him, like, if it was Easter day. And he said to him, like, you can come be in the studio if you can get in by one. And he like dropped everything he was doing, came to the studio. And he was like, I walked into the studio and John Lennon was sitting in there. And it was like, it was such like a wow moment where you're like, here's this guy. And you can like pinpoint the part where like his career took it to the next level, like such an important piece in music history. And that's what it felt like when you were watching Travis, like listening to the Drake verse for the first time. That's how I felt. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know if you can match the significance. I can't, I, I'm not, I'm not knowledgeable enough the music space to be able to say how iconic of a moment that was. But for me watching it, no, I was- but you could understand what totally. it's like to like hear like the backstory or like, uh, there's so many stories like that of like you walk in and it's like Eminem recording his first song and like the first, like they just like when you hear the backstory of like all of these people who you just know so well and these songs that you know so well and there's like a history behind it. It's, it was, yeah, it was unbelievable. Okay, OpenFit is making it easier to take care of you by bringing the gym to you. So basically, OpenFit takes all the complexity out of losing weight and getting fit. It's a brand new, super simple streaming service that allows you to work out from the comfort of your living room in as little as 10 minutes a day. So the thing is, you can basically sculpt your body in the convenience of your own home with no eyes on you. And there's so many different options. You can work out with amazing trainers like Andrea Rogers, founder of Extend Bar, which is unbelievable. Um, Rough Around the Edges, which is six of the most badass stunt women in the business. You never have to feel kind of like weird about being at the gym or judged or any of that. You can do it in the comfort of your own home. Also, it's incredibly like accessible. So if you're on vacation, you're going away, you can get it on on your computer, web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, even Roku. Um, I don't know. It's just a really convenient way to kind of make sure you're getting your workout in without having to go to the gym and go through the whole process of it. You get what you put in. You can see results within the first 30 days. So OpenFit can definitely change the way you work out. Text our code COMMENTS to 303030, and you can join us on a fitness journey personalized just for you. Right now, during the OpenFit 30-Day Challenge, our listeners get a special extended 30-day free trial membership to OpenFit when you text COMMENTS to 303030. You will get full access to OpenFit, all of the workouts and nutrition information totally free. Again, just text COMMENTS to 303030. Standard message data rates may apply. The other two pieces of it that I want to get into are the Grammys and Stormy World, which I think kind of coincide. Um, but something that was interesting, like going off of the album of Astroworld was just like, I, and Isabel says I did, but I didn't realize that Astroworld was the amusement park in Houston. It was Six Flags Astroworld. Okay, first off, if you knew this, like, please don't yell at us for not knowing it. But I swear to God, I did... When I watched that and I saw, the reason this documentary was so interesting is because it, it took so many videos of his childhood. And you see throughout his childhood that going to Astroworld was like his biggest joy. Like he grew up there. Him and his friends grew up at this theme park and it ended up closing down. So then for him to have this album and name it Astroworld and like re, you know, uh, pay like tribute to this place that was so formative to his childhood was so goddamn cool. Wait, before you get into Stormy World, can I say one more thing? Yeah, of course. Before we go up to the Grammys. I'll talk about the Grammys and we'll end with Stormy World because like, I just think it was amazing. But the, um, when you, you see him go back to Houston and he meets with the mayor and 
the mayor declares, you know, tells the crowd that they're bringing back Astroworld, kind of like, not in Travis's honor, but kind of in Travis's yeah, honor. Yeah, like as a result of the hype that he has now created around Astroworld. And, and his loyalty to Houston. And you see the crowd go wild. And I just, you know, take yourself, put yourself in, the, in those shoes. And maybe, okay, don't think of it as an amusement park. Think about it as like your town's favorite restaurant or your favorite thing in your thing in your town. And that goes away. Just and something that you associate your childhood with. So much. And you know that others around you do too. And that place leaves. And then you, 20 years later, your adult self makes it enough in your own career to be able to bring that back and bring that joy to the ch- children that are now living there, that must be a fucking indescribable feeling. Yeah. I mean, I think the reason that I loved the idea of World being what it was and not just this concept that he had come up with in his head, but be really being based off his childhood is that like, I think the thing that I, and I, I've said it throughout this episode, but I think that one of my biggest takeaways from tra- Travis was just like this childlike mentality that he has. And it was just like, I feel like he's grown up, but he never grew up. Exactly. Like in, a, in the best way. Like he still is just like, he sees the world sometimes through this childlike lens where everything is just exciting and amazing and like fun. And he's just happy to be there. And I think that like bringing the astral world at the actual music park as like a concept into his music was amazing. And to then connect that to Stormy World being like, okay, this was my childhood at Astro World. Now this is my child and it's her own world. Like it is Stormy World. And a part of that I loved, I have to say, like one of the things with really micro details that I picked up on was at the birthday party when they're outside and he's talking to Kanye and Kanye's leaving the party and Kanye's like showing off the Lambo and the Lambo truck and the rooms, whatever. And, and Kanye's talking about the year that he had. And he was like, you know, this was your year. Like this was, you know, the grant, you got nominated for a Grammy. You performed to the Super Bowl. You had the song of the year. You had the album of the year. This was your year. And one of the things Kanye lists is, and he just, he like, like squeezes it in, not like whatever. It was just like, and this is the birthday party. Like I loved that for both Kanye and Travis, they recognized that like their child's birthday was part of this huge formative year for Travis. Like there was just something about Kanye recognizing what a big deal like having a child is and, and this birthday party was for Travis and like Kanye's innate understanding of that as a father that I thought was so special that he said that. It's so, so true, Julie. That's a great detail. And also just think back like, I know we said we were going to end with Stormy World, but whatever, we'll end with the Grammys. Like, he he's 27, I think we decided, right? 28, so, yeah. 28. So he had this last year, right? So tw- when he was one year old, okay, 26 years later, the party that he is now throwing for his child's first birthday is something that he could have never dreamed of. Right. Like, I don't know, to me it was just such a, I think maybe it was because I saw so many clips throughout the whole thing of like his childhood and how much of more like humble beginnings he came from comparatively speaking to the life that they live now, obviously. And just the joy that he got from giving his kid that was was, like contagious. I don't know. I agree. It was like really, you know, you think sometimes that, I think there's a stereotype a lot of times in hetero relationships that the woman is the one that's like so excited about like the party and like wants to plan it all, whatever. And listen, I'm not saying that Kylie wasn't the one sitting there with Mindy Weiss, but he was just as, he was just as insistent on those details and like on making it what it was. Yeah, it was just, yeah, you're right. It was, it was, he cares like so much and you can just see it. He's not, the thing about Travis is that he's got this like very interesting personality in the sense that like, you either see him and he's at a hundred and he's like, so like 
wild and, and hyperactive and running around and so happy, or he's just quiet and sitting and like reserved and removed. And there's no in between. It's either one of those two things or the other. So a lot of the times I think that we see him and he's like at home with Kylie or we see him on, like, we think of him as so reserved. And so to see him like as a father and get excited and like, it was just special. I don't know. There was just something I, I didn't expect to take away as much in this documentary as I did. Even talking about it now, I didn't realize how much I did until we were talking about it. You think that if I started that documentary and I expected that, I would be hysterical. I literally, did I not text you? Yeah. I was like, Julie, I am hysterical. I don't know why. I couldn't stop. I I, I agree with There's you. There's something about like a Cinderella story that really, uh, it just really brings out emotions. You just really, I, he really rubbed me the right way. Like I just like, yeah. I, I don't know. Rubbed Kylie the right way too. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been disappointed with you if you didn't say that. I was yeah. waiting for it. Ba-boom. Yeah. <laughs> I need like a... Yeah. So obviously you guys know that Julie and I have never been shy about our love for marijuana, which is why we are really excited to tell you about this new podcast. It's called Green Flower Nation, and it's hosted by this guy, Max Simon, who's basically like a cannabis expert. And, you know, legalization and consumption of weed is kind of expanding at a rapid rate in our country. And I think not everybody totally understands what it does and the capabilities. And he kind of takes you on this journey to discuss how this plan is impacting health and wellness, business and investment, women and athletes, sex and relationships, everything and more. Um, it's called Green Flower Nation, so definitely check it out. Um, Kylie accompanying him to the Grammys was obviously a really big deal. And they looked, she looked sick, by the way. She looked sick. sick. And like, that was a really big deal for them. I don't think it was necessarily their red carpet debut. Um, No, the Met Gala was. But it was, they killed it. Like they They fucking grabbed it. They killed it. Anyway. And of course he was nominated. And like, they were really hoping that he was going to get a rap album. And he was nominated for a couple other things. And you see like, okay, he doesn't win that one. He doesn't win that one. And finally he has his, his chance. And you see him backstage and she's standing there with him. Yeah. And then you hear them say like, and rap album, Cardi B for Invasion of Privacy. And he's pissed. Not pissed in the, to the point where he's like disrespectful, like throwing shit or anything. But you see he he's walks- just upset. He immediately walks away from Kylie. Not pissed like at Cardi, just upset kind of. And he walks away from Kylie and he says like one thing, he's like, fuck. And that was it. Um, but it was a very, it was a really um, raw emotion that we never get to see that. Think about how often you've ever gotten to see a nominated artist not win the award and see their immediate reaction. 99% of the time, they're in the audience. Yeah. So this was really interesting because there was then a whole narrative, I don't know if you saw this, that took that happened as a result of seeing him lose the Grammy, which was everyone thought that he was mad at Cardi for, and there was this whole like, Travis Scott mad at Cardi for winning, whatever. And I, first of all, this, the storyline was ridiculous. He's obviously not going to be mad at Cardi for winning an award. That's that's ridiculous. Like, he'll be mad at the Academy, but it's not Cardi's fault. And he no. knows that. So he then had to clarify. He's like, I'm not mad at Cardi. I'm extremely happy for her. Obviously, I wanted to win though. And it was just like this whole narrative that people ran with because we, and, and thinking about it, we never get to see that reaction. We never get to see that, like, of course, it would be weird if he wasn't like, oh, fuck. Like, if he wasn't that upset. But but most of the time, it's televised and they're in the audience, so they have to be smiling and clapping for the person. And and you never get to see that that real, like, authentic authentic reaction. I thought it was really cool they let us see that. Yeah. And this was, like, my favorite part, and honestly, very full circle to kind of bring it back, is— after he loses the Grammy, he is in Houston. And this was the part that I was saying oh, earlier yeah. when the mayor told him that um, they were bringing back World, which was, again, was like the coolest thing ever. But he says, you know, he's talking to the mayor backstage and he's like, I don't know. I'm just like kind of down about just, I don't know. I've been the, the last couple of weeks, like since the Grammys, I've just been kind of in my head and and not really feeling myself. And, and the mayor said like, I've ran what, like 30 times, something ridiculous. Yeah. And he's like, I've been defeated. He's like, 
you have to be defeated in order to understand what like winning feels like. And he was like, what I need you to do right now is go out there to the crowd of like kids and tell them that they just can never give up because look at where they could come to. And he was like, I could say it, but it's just not gonna carry the same weight. I need you to say it. And that's when he goes on the stage. He gets presented with the key to the city of Houston. He performs fucking sicko mode, holding the key to the city yeah, of Houston. It was a really special he moment. Gets, he, he finds out that Astroworld is coming back. He's standing there with the mayor. It was the most, I don't know, watching that little boy on his bicycle learning how to bike ride in the streets of Houston to then becoming this like major figure was so full circle and so beautiful. And I was losing my motherfucking mind. And I just really want you guys to watch it. If you didn't watch it, I hope you got some of that. From you know, this. a moment was also really sweet after the Super Bowl performance when he walks into the box and he's like, where's Kylie? Where's Kylie? And she comes and like runs and hugs him. Like, yeah. like it was like, it, it was like his first instinct. He did something amazing. And the first person he wanted to see to celebrate it was, was Kylie. Yeah. I don't know, guys. I'm like really into them. I think it Me was- Me too. Yeah. I told you. I always have been. I really, like, there's just something about them. I feel like there's such a mutual respect there. Also, the one scene that um, I think people are kind of want to talk about is, like, where he's with—sorry, I just forgot about this one. He's with uh, Kylie and Kendall and Bella and and Kendall, like, kiss, remember? And they're, like, in the tree or whatever. What was interesting to me about that was the fact that, you know, they're all kind of the same age. Like, Kendall is closer in age to Travis than than Kylie Kylie is. And Travis is the closest one out of all of these sisters— um, significant others to their age. Like, Travis could easily be in their friend group. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it, like, like seems like he, like, he seamlessly kind of was. was in that moment. Yeah, which was, like, what's kind of cool. And I was just thinking, him and Tristan are basically the same age. And think about the difference in— and I think you initially you look at it from the outside, and it seems like Tristan's so much older, and then you actually look at it in the, from a maturity perspective. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Look at the way Travis behaved once he had a kid. Yeah. And pre-having a kid versus Tristan. Yeah, you're so right. You're so right. You know? I don't know. Just interesting to think about. And I think when you see the way Travis is because of this, like, childlike energy that he gives off that you wouldn't expect it. And that's what's so, like, nice to see when he rises. Not that he has to rise to the occasion. I think he was always there. But I think when you, like, see the way he acts, the way he's jumping around, you, like, and the the amount of, like, I guess, like, the amount that he's smoking, like, whatever, you, like, kind of, like, get this other vision of him. And then all of a sudden, he's with Kylie and Stormy. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, you are not what I was thinking. A thousand, a thousand percent. It was a really, I don't know. I just enjoyed it. I had such a happy feeling. And this, it, I don't know. I, I, it's rare that we do things like this and our notes aren't even as intense. Like, it's just bullet points because we can just talk solely from, at least documentary-wise, solely from excitement. And that's how I feel, so. Yep. That's how okay. I feel, kid. Okay. That's all. I guess next week, right? It's next week, yeah, that we'll see them for the regular episode. Holy fuck. Thank God. Thank God. Um, and of course on breaks we'll do other other deep dives and various things but we love you guys remember please if you enjoy this five stars and leave a nice review if you feel like it Um, and yeah we'll see you next week so I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life like generally speaking there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up but specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. 
That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.